Well, turn in your Bible this morning to the book of Matthew. Those of you that are biblically challenged, that's in the New Testament. That's in the back part of the book. I'm sorry, that doesn't work. All right. We're going to be in, in uh, chapter 25 eventually. Every year about this time, as the video intimated, I try to sort of point my prophetic ear toward what God is doing in this next season. But to do that, we have to go back a moment, and I realized how cliche it is to begin a sermon and referencing the past three years. If I hear about the virus, if I hear about corona, if I hear about COVID, loss, death, one more time, I'm going to just slap somebody. And I realize just how cliche it is, and yet it's a prologue to that which God is doing in this moment. Now, a prologue by definition is an event that sets up another event. Now, I don't know if you're aware of this, but God in his providence, many times he will take us through a thing. He will even take something away from us in order to place something of even greater worth and value in our lives. Now, we don't understand what that looks like, what that feels like in the moment. I mean, as good Pentecostals, we just start rebuking the devil. And I'll get to that in just a moment. And yet, if we look back over this past three-year period of time, for most of us in this room, it has been a very interesting period of drought and famine. I look up, but if I look back in the Bible, I find a Tishbite who prophesied this very thing. Elijah, the Tishbite. JC looked at me like, what are you talking about? And we find that in response to Israel's apostasy, when we see Elijah come on the scene in the 17th chapter of 1 Kings, he says, it will not rain nor do. There'll be no hydration on the land until I say so. Now, I don't know about you, but anybody that's ordering the weather around, they got it going on. Amen? And sure enough, it set into motion a three, three-and-a-half-year period where there was no rain on the land, which subsequently, economically, every way you can imagine, thrust that people, thrust that part of the world into absolute chaos. Very interesting. And yet, you and I have found ourselves also in a very unique three-year period of loss. Every one of us in this room have a story. And it's not just COVID. There are other factors that we can look back. And my wife and I and my kids, we could tell you stories. We could swap stories probably for hours. And yet here we are. But I want to say to you that at the end of that period of time, this same prophet, he said this, I hear the sound of a heavy rain. And I want to say to you this morning, I hear the sound 
of a heavy rain. And men and women like myself are hearing something. We're beginning to see even the smallest manifestations of clouds rising. Of what God is about to pour out on the planet. Which I believe is historically without precedent. You may say, wow, that sounds really big, Pastor Jim. Very impressive to start a sermon with. I couldn't say it unless God was saying it. It's a man in Scripture, Luke, the second chapter. And his CV was that the Holy Spirit was upon him. Simeon. And God had made a promise to Simeon. You will not die until you see with your own eyes the consolation of Israel. Who was he speaking about? The Messiah. Jesus. And when Mary and Joseph came and, and this weird old man takes this baby, he says, now, God, you can dismiss me. Because that very thing I've been waiting for, praying for, believing for my entire life, now, here he is. My wife and I were at a conference this past fall, conference that we've ministered in for really almost the last 25 years. It's in Maui. Somebody has to do it. <clears throat> Continue to pray for us. All right. That we continue to get invited. No, I'm just teasing. But, but there was a, a father of the faith there. His name is Emmanuel Canastrasi. You've never heard the name? Don't worry about it. But a man that traveled as a young man with a man named William Branham. One of the great revivalists of the 20th century. Miracles, signs, wonders. And Emmanuel is about, he's in his 90s. 90, 91 years old. And this was in 2021. My wife and I were there, and I remember telling her, this man is very ill, and I believe he has cancer. And sure enough, about a month later, we got testimony that he indeed had cancer. He had cancer. Now, how many of you know if you're 90, 91 years old, they don't aggressively treat you for much or nothing? They just say, hey, 90, you've lived a good life. God bless you. We'll keep you comfortable. 2022, he came back to that conference, and he stood there cancer-free. Cancer-free. Little man, little Italian guy. And he said this. He said, God promised me I would not die until I saw the first fruits of this coming revival. Amazing. Almost the same testimony that Simeon had. That God had sustained this man's life as a testimony that God was going to allow him to see this reign of revival fall during his lifetime. And ladies and gentlemen, hear me well. Here, you and I, in this generation, here we are. What generations before us have longed to see, God is allowing you and I not just to see it, but to be participants of it. You ain't got it yet. And yet, the challenges are 
I don't see it, Pastor Jim. Thank you so much for telling me, but my life, I'm still married to the Antichrist. I still look at my children and wonder if they're spawn of the devil. I, I work for Pharaoh. You don't understand. My, my, my body is still turning, turning on me. I don't see anything of what you're saying yet. Prophet Elisha is there with some kings in the desert. They're out of water as well. And the admonition comes. He says, make this valley full of ditches, for you will see neither wind nor rain, yet I will fill this valley with water. What was he saying? The way that you have experienced hydration before, you're not going to see any of that this time. Because I'm about to move in a way you've never seen before. But what's incumbent on you is that you make preparation that when this water begins to come, you can receive it. Amen. California just broke a drought. You probably saw it in the news, all this water flowing into places. And, but you see, it's not just a three, five, or ten-year drought. It's the culmination of a 1,200-year drought. And what's interesting about this, and I believe that it's a manifestation in the natural of what we're about to experience in the kingdom. Hear me. I read this thing that this person wrote. All of this water falling, too bad we can't contain it. California has built no new reservoirs or waterways in the past 50 years. So now here's all of this water with nowhere to go, nowhere to contain it, nowhere to really do anything with it because of lack of preparation. Wow. So it begs the question for you and I of how God needs to enlarge and engage our spiritual senses away from just the natural. Because listen, if you're looking for revival... If you're looking for this rain to show up in natural places, let me tell you, you might miss it. Stand on your feet, if you would, for a moment for the reading of Scripture. Matthew chapter 25, verses 1 through 13. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five were foolish and five were wise. The foolish took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. At midnight, the cry rang out, He's here! Come out to meet him! And then all the virgins woke up, trimmed their lamps, and the foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. And the virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet. And the door was shut. Later, the others also came and said, sir, open the door for us. But they replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch because you do not know the day or the hour. God bless the reading of your word. You may be seated. I have a very unfortunate history with oil. 
My wife and I had an Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser. Now, most of you in this room are not old enough to even know what an Oldsmobile is, which, by the way, it was one of the divisions of General Motors at one time. And most of you don't know what a Vista Cruiser was, unless you've watched the 70s show. But it's this station wagon that's a land yacht, basically. This big, long, ugly, tan station wagon with a great big honking 350 V8 in it. And this dash came on on my, this light came on on the dash. Now, Pastor Duke is going to start to vibrate here in just a minute because he's a motorhead, so stay with me. We'll, we'll pray for you after the service, Pastor Duke. So this light came on on the dash, and I thought, well, it's Christmas, you know, that's really special that GM would light up my dash with the Christmas colors like that. That is so festive. Thank you. Until one Sunday, we were on the way to church, and I heard this sound emanate from under the hood, which was absolutely ungodly. And my car finally said, we done. And you walking. And the engine just said, and that was it. So we missed church that Sunday. The car was towed to a friend of mine who was a mechanic in the church at that time. And a few days later, I went to his shop and I said, so what's the verdict? He said, come here. And he handed me something. He handed it to me. He said, this is your oil. Now, if you don't know anything about oil... You're not supposed to be able to hand it to someone. <laughs> it is not supposed to be this sort of jello, sort of semi-solid. The way God intended for it to be was to be liquid, that it would lubricate your engine, not sit in your oil pan and congeal. And it was simply because, JC, I thought that fairies changed the oil in my car. I thought they checked on these things. I thought somehow it miraculously reproduced itself. And there was no oil in the car. And the car said, goodbye. I don't know if the car went to heaven or hell at that point. I'm not quite sure. But the car was dead. Let's just put it that way. But I made some assumptions about that oil. Are you hearing me here? That somehow, without any effort on my part, it would always be there doing what it was intended to do. Do you realize that God made you and me not to run dry? He made you and me, come on, to move and to live and to have our being by the oil of the Holy Spirit routinely pouring in and lubricating all of the parts of our life. But you can't take it for granted. And many of us, we do. Particularly those of us who are in a dynamic church like one of our grace congregations and we have this presence-filled worship and we have pulpits that actually preach the Word of God and we think because we come we get enough lubrication on a Sunday to take us the other six and a half days of the week. Oh my. Back to the parable for a moment. 
We find both of these groups, the five and the five, they were virgins. They were uniquely qualified to be able to come into that promise. They both had the same information and the same revelation. They were both in anticipation of an amazing event. And yet, interesting, they both grow weary and fell asleep. But then there was the suddenly. And yet only one group was able to participate. Why? Because while both groups had expectation, only one group had married the expectation with preparation. Listen to me. Many times we think the true essence of faith is expectation. Let me just tell you, it is expectation plus preparation. That's where faith can be found. What do we do with what we are expecting? What do we do with the information and the revelation that God has given us? It would be like a pregnant lady and she goes to the hospital and she has the baby. Notice how men describe the birth process. Okay. And then, you know, you're in the hospital and you know, the clock is ticking, and after, you know, four and a half minutes, you know, you guys got to go now. Your insurance is up. And looking at her husband and saying, well, what do we do with the baby? We'll get a box, I guess, you know. No, you've made 17 trips to Ikea in the last 40 weeks. You've been to Target. You've been, you, come on, you know what I'm, you've been Pinteresting the baby's room. You've made preparation for that which you are doing what? Expecting. And yet how many times do we have no preparation for the expectation that we have that God has revealed to us? We have these presuppositions and these expectations of what revival might look like. Consider Pentecost for a moment. The sound like roaring wind, tongues of fire. And unless Pastor J.C. can show it to me, there was no precedent in the law or the prophets that this is how God would come during this feast and show up by delivering the Holy Spirit, if you wish, to the world wholesale, birthing the church. There was nothing in the law and the prophets that said this is how it will happen. We don't see that there was anything in Hebrew oral tradition. This is what you can expect. And yet in that moment, God blew their minds as he blew in to that feast. And yet even there, there were two groups. There was a group that the Holy Spirit fell on and they began to worship God in other languages. But yet there was this other group that was sitting there watching that group saying, they drunk. Seem to always be two groups, at least two. Leonard Ravenhill, and I believe it was him. I can't find the quote, so I'm going to attribute it to him anyway. He said, the great challenge among Pentecostals and Charismatics is that we know too much, and we are in the greatest fear of missing the next move of God. Why? Because we think we know what it's going to look like. We think we got it. Because we exercise spiritual gifts and we raise our hands when we worship. Wow. 
But what if it doesn't happen the way we think? I was talking to my finance guy over the past few months and watching my $17 of my retirement account become 17 cents. So he tries to kind of pat me on the head, you know, you know, Brad, it's just time in the market. I said, I'm going to time in the market your face. He said, because historically, you know, the, the, the bulls always follow the bears. And this, the historical trends going all the way back, I said, what if this isn't a historical trend? What if it doesn't go the way it's always gone? Same thing with a move of God. What if it doesn't look right? And you see, for those of us that have... And, 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 and I, I don't want to hurt your special snowflakeness this morning, but stay with me. I only come a couple of times a year, so just, just hold on. We are products of a narcissistic culture. Sorry, hate to be the one to tell you, because your mama's not, but I'm going to tell you. And that narcissistic culture has not only affected, but it has infected the church to the point that we have a very narcissistic gospel that somehow it's all about you. It's not. What if this revival costs you something rather than gives you something? Well, I wouldn't call it revival. Exactly. Because we all have this idea that all of a sudden our bank accounts are going to be full. Our body's not going to hurt anymore. Our children are going to come into an alignment and start actually listening to us. What if none of those externals happen that affects me? Oh my goodness. What if it actually costs us more rather than less? Do you realize that arguably the greatest revival in history, at least numerically, is happening right now? You know where? China. China. Millions, if not billions, coming to the gospel underground through the house church movement. And yet if you look at what's happening around them, still some of the greatest oppression human rights, religion, freedom of worship. Disciples in China make a decision for Christ. It doesn't look like this on a Sunday morning. They make a decision understanding it might cost them everything, including their very life. And yet against that backdrop of oppression, guess what? The greatest revival in history is happening right now. Amazing. Amazing. And let me say this. Many of us drank the Kool-Aid of what I'm going to call institutional revival. What do I mean by that? That somehow that God, whether it's what they call the seven mountains of the culture, of God's going to come and he's going to influence government and industry and education and all these things. And, and I got to tell you, I drank that Kool-Aid for years. Am I waiting for God to come and touch these areas? Absolutely. But I am not going to limit the revival reign of God 
that I see everybody on Capitol Hill on their knees worshiping Jesus. Guess what? It may or may not happen that way. If we're waiting for institutional revival, we may be waiting a long time. Consider this for a moment. Even the birth of the early church, do we see Rome Christianized? No. Now, we see some semblance of it some centuries later, but that Rome was the very place where persecution continued to flow. Huh. Don't like this much. And there are going to be unique aspects of this outpouring. And that we're going to see it here and not here. My wife and I were ministering in a conference in Europe probably five years ago now. And I had this vision of lights, like twinkle lights, going on in various places across that continent. Missiologists have said how hard and how dark Europe has been historically. I'm here to tell you God's beginning to move and wake some things up on, on, on that continent in a pretty serious way. But what was interesting is it wasn't this light that all of a sudden it went from dark to light. I just began to see these little spots begin to light up, representing churches, representing cities and towns. Let me just tell you, this next revival is going to be very much that way. Is that from church to church, even churches within the same denomination or churches within the same uh, group of uh, association of churches, whatever you call them, even on this row, on a row, this person will experience the revival reign of God. This person will completely miss it. Have you ever been in a worship service and someone walked out saying, Oh, ooh, oh, I saw Jesus and I was in the seventh heaven with him and the angels and the Urim and the Thummim and the, oh. And you were there saying, aren't they through singing yet? We know what that feels like. And this revival is going to be very selective that way on the basis of our expectation and our preparation. Stay with me. It's going to be very unique. And it's important that we don't miss the day of visitation on the basis of external circumstances or that which we can reference historically. A little history of the charismatic renewal is that God offered it through the historical denominational structures first. The Catholics, you mean Catholics go to heaven? Some of them, yeah. It's like some people that go to Protestant churches go to heaven. Nobody got that. All right, moving along. <laughs> the Anglican Church, England, a man named Dennis Bennett actually coined the phrase charismatic. Gentlemen, we are charismatic. And it's God offered his spirit, Methodists, Presbyterians, Baptists, and yet many of these historical denominations said, we good. We've got our theology, our pneumatology. We've got our liturgy figured out. It's okay. We already done there. And if you look, many of the very denominations that were offered a move of the Spirit in the 1960s, now, 50 years later, liberal theology, 
perversion has wrecked those denominations. And missiologists say that within the next 10 years, at the rate of decline, some of these denominations will not even exist any longer. And yet the Holy Spirit invited that oil to come into those settings. And you see, for those of us that say, that will never happen to us. Oh, let me just tell you, we may be in the greatest danger of missing it because of what we think we might know. Expectation and, and preparation together. So in closing, what, let me ask and answer the question then, what do we do? Presuppositionally, let's assume that you agree with what I'm hearing and what I'm saying. So what do we do to not miss this day of visitation? Possibly the most famous story in Scripture, oil, is the prophet Elisha in 2 Kings 4. This woman who is a widow of a prophet, she is out of money. They're coming to take her kids into slavery. In those days, you didn't have chapter 7, 9, 11, 13, 17, prime number, whatever. You didn't, you didn't have all of these outlets for dealing, discharging your debt. They just came and sold your people into slavery. So this is a dire situation. And the prophet says, what do you have in your house? And she says, nothing at all except, she thought, huh, better not lie to a prophet. I've got a little bit of oil. He said, that's all we need. Get your sons, go knock on doors, get every empty container you can find. Now, I want you to note something very important here. He did not tell this woman what God was about to do. Now, if he had said in the beginning, I'm about to do a miracle of multiplication and set you up for the rest of your life, he didn't tell her that. He simply said, go get empty vessels. She had no idea what, what was about to happen. The same way that when the prophet Elijah came to the widow of Zarephath, and she took the last of her flour, last of her oil, and cooked a meal for him, the prophet didn't say to her, if you'll do this, God's going to provide for you through the rest of this famine. She just did it in obedience. Well, this woman in 2 Kings 4 did the same. And you know the story. Empty, empty containers, the oil kept flowing. When they were all full, the oil stopped. Now, this is an interesting factoid right here. Elisha said, Sell the oil, pay your debts, watch this now, and live on what's left over. Do you realize that in an instant, God moved her from being destitute to wealthy? Live on what's left. I don't know about you, but I would define that as wealth. The fact that I never have to worry about money again. Who knows how much it was? We don't know. You and I would have been happy to get the car paid off and our mortgage paid off. But can you imagine having enough money that you realize for the rest of your life you've been set up on the basis of what? Going and getting empty containers in obedience to what you had been told to do. Wow. Wow. So let me give you just a few points here. 
first of all, is running on empty. We have a phenomenon in our country, is we call it FOMO. But we also have another one, it's FORO. It's the fear of running out. It's why God made Costco <laughs> and Amazon Prime. Because we're terrified we're going to run out. I mean, anybody tried to buy toilet paper two years ago? Come on. Who, who knew? I mean, so I, my, my wife and I finally, I think, went through the last toilet paper we bought in 2021. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, we're good now. The fear of running out. And so we begin to feel hungry. We begin to feel thirsty. And we immediately begin to rebuke the devil. Ah, Shandai, I'm a child of God. And you're the cattle on a thousand hills. And we, because we certainly, God wouldn't. And yet my Bible says in Matthew, blessed are those who, come on, hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And yet we live in a culture that any time we feel a little grumbling or rumbling, we immediately ascribe it to the enemy. You ain't there yet. And so guess what? We continue to eat. We fill ourselves up. Do you realize nothing tastes good when you're already full? I mean, you could roll up to Morton's and somebody push a 20-ounce porterhouse to you. But if you'd stop by Mickey D's and filled up on the dollar menu before you got there, it would be like, Bruh. and many times we do the same thing with God himself. We get so full and satiated with everything else. And let me just tell you, God doesn't compete for, for space or place in your life. He just backs out and backs off. And let me just tell you, and hear me good. God will empty you. And don't think he won't. And if you don't believe it, there's a little book in the Bible called Job. Do you realize at the end of that thing, you know what it was all about? Job's inadequate revelation of who God really was. Job's revelation of God was temporal based on his blessings. And then God takes this man and he says, and he wrecks his life for about 40 chapters. Incredible. Don't think that God won't use the devil to empty your life because he will. And not because he's mad at you or doesn't love you, but because the very opposite from that, he loves you enough that you might be able to contain even more of him. Amen. Running on empty. Secondly, are you fillable? What is the, what is the condition of your wineskin, of your vessel? Some of you heard a message I spoke five or six years ago about wineskins. That a wineskin, an ancient means of moving liquids in antiquity, taken from the dead, the, the skin of a dead animal. Disgusting. And yet, that wineskin is always at its place of maximum flexibility, closest to the time of death of the animal. 
And that flexibility is directly proportional to capacity. Meaning the more flexible we are, come on, the more of what? The oil of God we can contain. But what's prerequisite to that? Mortality. What are we willing to die to in order to have that capacity? Third, relying on someone else's oil. It didn't work in the Vista Cruiser. And let me tell you, it won't work in your life either. Oh, I love Pastor Eddie. He reads his Bible every day. You know, he's smart. You know, I'm just going to draft in his scholarship. Or if I need to know where scripture is, I'll go find Pastor JC. He'll tell me. If I need a word, maybe I'll run Pastor Jim down and he'll make up something. (coughs) (laughs) There's been too much relying on someone else's oil for too long. Guess what? You got to bring your own. You got to bring your own. And lastly, recognizing what you have. You know what the great lies of the devil is everything you're not and everything you don't have. And there's no one in this room that doesn't struggle under that lie. Is your lack. Come on. I'll put my hand up. I'm an old guy, 65 years old, man. I still struggle. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the absolute dumbest of them all? You, fool. (laughs) Got it. I know where you live because I live there too. But the reality is we need to understand what we have on the inside of us. (laughs) Paul wrote about it to the church at Ephesus that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead. The resurrection power of God is now on the inside of us. How dare we tell heaven, I don't have anything. How dare we limit the amount of oil that we have in our life. The issue is not how much, whether or not you're a one, two, or a five talent. The issue is what do you do with what you got? Are you pouring it out? Because it's not until we pour it out that we begin to experience the miracle of multiplication in our lives. Well, Pastor Jim, it's easy for you. No, it's not. It's not. I'm as weird and insecure as you are. That every time I get in a situation to preach or minister... I have to do the same thing. I just have to say, God, I ain't got it. I know I got a little. He said, just start pouring, son. And then we watch the miracle of multiplication. Are you hearing me? And I believe there are two things specifically that God is looking for in this season, particularly of churches. There are two containers. The first is prayer. Prayer. Love that this church has these Friday night moments. Yes, you're hearing right and you're making preparation. But you see, prayer prepares a container like nothing else. Because prayer, when it works the way God intended, is not you working your shopping list of blessing. But is an emptying of yourself. Yes, Jesus taught his disciples to pray. 
But the real prayer we find of Jesus in the garden, jammed up like no man in history, yet not my will, come on, but thy will. That's what prayer does. Prayer uniquely empties us of our stuff, our agendas, our desires, everything. And God says, now I can do something in and through your life. Prayer. But the second one is evangelism and outreach. Those empty vessels, those empty containers, guess what? We go get them. We get out of the house. You know, we've spent so much time in the church trying to pour oil on one another. I'm sorry. It's just true. Here's a little oil. And we love it. It's wonderful. And yet what God is saying is, I want you to go find empty containers. Truly empty containers. I don't know of a picture in the Old Testament that is a more picture of what outreach looks like that we get out of the house and go find as many empty vessels as we can find that the oil of life the oil of God might now flow into them through our little bit of oil amazing and I believe churches that hear and make preparation in this way they're not going to miss this next move So here's the question, survival or revival? I would love to tell you that things are going to get so much better in the world. I can't, but I think things are about to get amazing in the kingdom. And the juxtaposition between life and death and light and darkness and those that have and those that don't, let me just tell you, the gap's just going to become so apparent. And I believe that God has much more for you and I than just getting through it and getting to heaven. He's wanting us to experience this revival. But we need to check our oil. Your wineskin. What is the condition of that wineskin today? Has it been freshly mortified that it can be freshly filled? Because God wants to fill you afresh. Pray with me. Pastor Eddie, join me up here. A lot of words this morning. But Lord, move us beyond just the plethora of words. Let us hear something from heaven. And not just hear. Not just to be hearers of the word, but responders to that word, doers of that word, that we would make a place and make a space. God, we thank you that you are not just alive and well on the planet, but you are at work. Lord, thank you for the incredible privilege of being alive in this moment that we're going to get to see with our eyes what generations before us have only dreamed about. Thank you.